They say it's a circus But we're the clowns Just wide robotic leeches And business gowns And the flashing signs And the parking fines Shoppers running wild Cars they're fuming lines Products of confusion In the circus of delusion Such a fuss of medicine To break this delusion This is a circus The fat cats must be tamed The baits displayed are billboards This is another theme we picked because it was once a theme in the Pushpin Graphics magazine. And without question, this was one of the hardest to tackle. It was the last we put together in this first series, and finding connections with clowns, ones that interest me anyway, was very difficult. While I was looking for dead clowns to interview, I had a terrible time settling on one. People suggested George Carlin or Andy Kaufman and I thought they would do fine, but I realized it would be better to interview a female clown to even the show out. Dead female clowns. I thought of Gilda Radner first, then Martha Ray, Carol Lombard, but then it dawned on me, Lucy's dead. And I thought she might be easy because I had unfortunately absorbed so many hours of her show. So that will be coming up on Dead Air. Stay tuned, but first this. I guess growing up every kid needs a costume now and then. Christmas pageants, parades, and of course Halloween. Traditionally costumes are made or sewn together by mom or someone with a basic ability to sew. But my mom didn't sew. I guess the problem was dad didn't sew either. My costumes were made fast, without sewing, and with materials at hand. One year my dad made me into a camel for the Christmas play. This was the perfect role for me, no lines. Nothing to do to move the plot of the play along. Basically I was scenery. My dad created a wonderful camel outfit from craft paper bags, twine, and jute carpet. I remember watching the process and seeing a magical transformation. I remember thinking, how'd he do it? That's a camel, a camel out of nothing. Everyone who saw the costume commented on how clever it was. It was a big hit that night. This became the pattern for most subsequent costuming endeavors, and it was mostly successful. But there was once when it didn't really come off. Maybe it was just too short of notice. Halloweens had snuck up on us all, and I needed a costume fast. I was nearly too old for Halloween, but I remember thinking I'm not giving up any tradition that means I get a full bag of candy for nothing. Using only the materials at hand, my dad worked fast and fashioned me into a black cat. The cat head was worn something like a bonnet. It encircled my face with drawstrings under my chin. Instead of this headpiece being stuffed with fluffy fiber fill and sewn like a pillow, it was, in fact, stapled together from stiff paper and filled with corning pink insulation. 
the type that filled our attic. To finish off the makeup for the cat head, he created a nose carved from foam rubber, left over from some upholstering he was doing. The nose was like a clown would wear, but instead of a string or gum arabic to hold the nose in place, he used a powerful contact cement. My dad had done it again. Hands, feet, a tail, he had transformed common building materials into a clever costume. I didn't hesitate to set out to trick or treat. I was shortly to learn I was dressed in one of the most diabolical torture suits imaginable. I might not have made it back alive if not for some happy accidents. My sweat from the trapped heat generated by my head ran down my face and ruined the makeup. The itching that kept me stretching the skin around my face eventually dislodged the nose. And that was lucky because the foam rubber nose was outgassing brain cell deadening fumes from the cement. As we continued our house to house, I couldn't walk straight but in a more drunkard's path around the neighborhood. We gave up early that year. I don't think there was anyone listening to my complaints. I was at the rear of our troop, constantly adjusting some part of my itchy outfit. But I don't think I was the first to suggest we call it a night. It started to rain and we didn't want the candy to be ruined. You're a funny guy. <laughs> what do you mean? You mean the way I talk? What? It's just, you know, you, it's, you're just funny. It's, you know, the way you tell the story and everything. Funny how? I mean, what's funny about it? Yeah, Tommy, no, you got it all wrong. Oh, oh, Anthony. He's a big boy. He knows what he said. What'd you say? Right. Funny how? What? Just, you know, you're, you're funny. <laughs> You mean, so? let me understand this. I'm funny how? I mean, funny like I'm a clown, I amuse you? I make you laugh? I'm here to fucking amuse you? What do you mean funny? Funny how? How am I funny? I'm not just... You know how you tell a story? What? No, no, I don't know. You said it. How do I know? You said I'm funny. How the fuck am I funny? What the fuck is so funny about me? Tell me. Tell me what's funny. Get the f out of here, Tommy. <laughs> you mother I almost had him. I almost had him. You stuttering prick yet? A jester? A jester? A funny idea, a jester. No butcher, no baker, no candlestick maker, and me with the look of a fine undertaker impressed her? As a jester? But where could I learn any comical turn? It was not in a book on the shelf. No teacher to take me to mold me and make me a merry man, fool, or an elf. But I'm proud to recall that in no time at all, with no other recourses but my own resources, with firm application and determination, I made a fool of myself. Dead Air is a brief conversation with a once-living luminary. 
and outstanding artist or creative who once lived and shared their gifts with the world. Now they return exclusively to Rotcast to keep their hand in and give us a glimpse from the netherworld. Welcome to Dead Air. I'm your host, Martin Mann. My guest is the preeminent dead female clown. She died at age 77 in 1989 after a complicated heart operation. She was tall and slender and started in show business after a brief modeling career. She rose through the ranks from a Goldwyn showgirl, little more than background scenery, to small speaking parts in the movies. She was first under contract with RKO Radio Pictures. She became a starlet and was picked up by MGM, the first studio to promote her as a star. At MGM, they dyed her hair red and fixed her teeth and gave her a signature look. When marketing research into her popularity returned less than stellar, she was dropped by MGM. But things changed when a live audience was added to the mix, first on a radio show and later on television. On television, her slapstick training and gossip column persona clicked. Her popularity grew with the birth of the sitcom in the 1950s. Lucy, when little Tommy Schiller, the son of one of your I Love Lucy production staff, saw you for the first time, you asked him to sit on your lap. But as he remembers it, you scared him with your loud, gravelly voice. He smelled of nail polish and cigarette smoke, and you wore this crazy red wig. He was always a funny kid. My question is, why are clowns so scary? Uh, you attract attention any way you can. I remember riding on a streetcar, a suburban car, and looking in the window. You know, you look at your reflection, and I'd look at myself, and I said, you're not beautiful, and you're not too bright. And then I happened to make it face. <laughs> it stuck. I wasn't frightened or anything. It's good to know you don't scare yourself. I can tell the cigarettes really ravaged your lungs and voice. I guess those things don't clear up after you pass on. Care for some oxygen. Thank you, darling. And there's no one to match uh, my, my voice at this point in time. I don't know if it's sexy. It's not sexy. Thanks for coming on the show. I'm happy to be with you, and I'm, I'm just happy to be alive. That's sort of the point. You aren't alive, are you? Don't press me. <laughs> I read through your biography with great interest. I didn't know that you were buddies with Buster Keaton. Buster Keaton. He sort of trained you. Later on, you bought the act of a Spanish clown named Pepito, and he trained you. It seems that you had a lot of good training as a clown, but you didn't strike me as being very creative. I read the writers on your TV show even included code words into the script that represented the type of funny face Lucy was supposed to make. That's right. I was out there doing what they asked me to do. Lucy makes faces and screams and yells a lot, and I got... Less funny? I think I wanted to say uh, louder and louder. I had enough yelling in my life. Lucy, another really standout section of your biography was your purchase of RKO. You actually bought the studio that let your contract expire. RKO was streamlining, cutting their losses, and didn't see any potential in your film career. You turned around and bought RKO Studios. For how much? Four names, but that's much, much later. Thirteen years later. Still, 
That's got to be the biggest in your face ever. Yes, sir. I was delighted that nothing else mattered. Wow, talk about sweet, sweet revenge. A clown, a female clown, parlays her luck into the biggest payback ever. That had to be the high point for you. You're right, there's no place to go but down, but who cares? Good point. Well, it's the journey, not the destination. Before we talk about your final destination and what you're up to now, I have to geek out and ask you about Star Trek. In your role as the head of Desilu, you were responsible for greenlighting the original Star Trek series. It's really impacted generations of fans. I was surprised you were involved. I've never been so pleased and proud, but it's the greatest show on Earth. <laughs> you mean not on Earth. But the concept of a diverse group of people exploring space together still has legs. It seems there'll be people in old age homes watching Star Trek when there are real starships. Whizzing around in the universe. It was after they had taken the Japanese out of uh, California and unfortunately put them in the camps. I thought, this is ridiculous. I'm, I'm in love with the whole human race, and I just hope to God in the show does some good. It's time for us to journey into the unknown and ask you about death and what the slickest trick in slacks does in the afterlife. I mean, people that are gone? Yes, gone, dead, deceased. I ride around on broomsticks and whatnot. And we don't try to escape it. <laughs> well, I've heard Lenny Riefenstahl would like to come back at any cost. And she's suffering. But Lucy, what do you do now? Strangely enough, dentist. Now that makes sense to me. You made people smile, but you also caused many people pain. It sounds like you were a huge pain in the keister. What the hell was that? So you perform dentistry on the dead. Are you any good? I'm a little wildcat. I happen to like dental work. And I got so that I knew more about temporary fillings. I could talk fluently about my mouth. Beyond endurance. Lucy, your legend will obviously endure. I want to thank Lucille Ball for being our guest today on Dead Air. Join us next week when my guest will be Frank Zappa. Dead Air is a fiction. All views expressed, particularly about the afterlife, are intended only as entertainment and do not reflect the beliefs of the luminaries, interviewer, or producers of Dead Air. We urge listeners to seek out for themselves the living works of our luminaries. Circus world, tinsel and spun candy and thrill. This is Gloria Graham. She gives a fine performance as Angel, the Elephant Girl, and she shows nerves of steel when she lies down in the center ring and lets a five-ton elephant put its foot right on her pretty face. Then, of course, there are the clowns, some of the most famous clowns in the world. We have Otto Griebling, Lou Jacobs, Ernie Birch, Felix Adler, Buzzy Potts, with my little sweetheart, Daisy, Paul Jerome, Prince Paul, Paul Young, Paul Mortier, that's quite a pack of Paul, Jimmy Armstrong, Albert White, Irving Romick, Al Bruce, 
Charlie Bell with, with peanuts and popcorn. Frankie Stiluto and his long-eared friend. And, of course, the one and only Emmett Kelly as Weary Willie. There are 50 clowns with the show. But I wonder if you recognize this one. Yes? No? Well, underneath that putty nose and painted smile is one of Hollywood's top stars, James Stewart. We call him Jimmy, and we love him, as you will. Jimmy Stewart realized his lifelong ambition in the greatest show on earth, playing Buttons the Clown. For some mysterious reason, Buttons never removes his makeup. But the show rolls just the same. I know because I lived with these circus people and learned to respect them and love them. Up next, the Juicy Truth. While we were in London, we visited Chinatown and found a dim sum restaurant. On their drink menu, they advertised Cockburn's Port. This was fortuitous because I wanted to find a bottle of Cockburn's Port for this very show. So I ordered a glass. It had the look of furniture polish, darkish reddish brown. It uh, must have been the Ruby Port Special Reserve. It was very sweet. I was glad it was only a small glass. The taste reminded me of a mixture of sherry and syrup. That sounds terrible, but the port started sweet and ended uh, much drier. I usually like to compare sherry to wines that uh, have a nutty quality, like liquid almonds, which is also a good description of the Cockburns. It was a bit heavy to start a meal, especially in the middle of a warm springtime. As a wine choice, it's a lot like dim sum. It should only be ordered on special occasions. Cockburns comes from Portugal and is available in a range of qualities. There's a ruby and a tawny variety, and each type is bottled and mixed with various aged wine stock. Port is a fortified wine, which means it's a sweet dessert wine with alcohol added to increase the kick. The following might be called Cork Talk that has been generated from the various Juicy Truth Review sessions and gathered together here as useful information about storing your wine. Uh, storing bottles of wine, a lot of the racks are built so like it keeps the cork wet. Mm -hmm. Is that important? Only if you are storing the wine for longer than a couple of months and only if your wine is sealed with a true cork. A real cork needs to be damp and slightly swollen to keep the air out. A plastic cork does not have this problem. These days, not every cork is a real cork. Yep, they're synthetic. <laughs> I just broke this real cork. I like the synthetic corks best. Hey there, number nine. Uh, remember in our first show we uh, talked about advantages and disadvantages of various cork types? Yeah, I do remember that. I was actually reading an article that had done a study of this. They found that 
the uh, synthetic corks let in more air over time than a natural cork. That's such a bummer because I love them so much. They don't rot away. I agree. I, I hate it when you uh, are off-center a little bit or you get a, a drier cork and it just, you know, crumbles. It falls into ever, your wine. Have you ever had to dig out the remains of a broken cork with a steak knife? Um, no, but I usually just, like, spit it out once it's in my mouth. <laughs> but that doesn't have happen. Ever, Go ahead. Have you ever pushed the remains of a broken cork back into the bottle and just fished them out as you drank it anyway? Oh, yeah, I've had to do that before because, I mean, you try to save the what remainder there is of the cork, you know, to seal it up, and then yeah. try to get that out again. So, like, <laughs> sometimes you can't. You have to push it in. Yeah, I've had some pretty sad situations before opening bottles with real corks. So I was all for the, the uh, synthetic cork, and I think it for, in the short term, like, Wine isn't supposed to sit around like you. you I, that's another thing they said in this article. It's just like you're not supposed to put it away for a hundred years. You're supposed to drink it. You know. You mean after it's already open? Like say you've had a glass out of it and you've recorked it, or you well, mean? Well, it's not supposed to be. Uh, you collect a bottle of wine. It maybe it's known known for being a good year, and you just save it and save it and save it. That's not the in original intention, and most of the time that stuff just ends up turning into vinegar. There's a limitation that a natural cork has. It just turns out to be longer than a synthetic one, and but neither of the, the length of time is really going to matter if you're going to drink it within, like, say, a few years. Right. For the practical wine drinker, I guess, it's not a biggie if you're going to, like, not try to save it in your uh, wine cellar for a decade or whatever. What about the twist-off quirks? That is interesting. Twist-off caps. You know, they they seem so cheesy, but that actually in the study uh, turned out to be the cork that was going to preserve the wine the longest. Interesting news on that front. Uh, Weren't you telling me there's another type? Yeah, have you ever heard of glass corks? No. I think it's sort of a a new trend. Um, I've only ever seen them with Italian wines thus far, but... um, they're really interesting. They have a latex washer that helps seal the wine, mm-hmm. and they're reusable to a certain extent. They won't fit on every bottle, but some bottles you can reuse them, and they, they look really pretty. Oh, that's interesting. I'll look for that next time in the, I'm in the wine store. Uh, another thing we are going to have to talk about eventually are, are um, different types of uh, corkscrews because there's a bunch of different kinds that are out there. I just have the old uh, nasty-looking cork <laughs> screw that <laughs> destroys corks. <laughs> yeah, I really like the ones that have the double lip, so um, once you put the, the screw in and you lift up, um, mm-hmm. once you've re- reached the point where you can't pull anymore, there's a, another metal brace that you can put on the lip, um, which pulls it right out. Yeah, that sounds good. And my friend has one that uh, is similar to mine, except it has a, a lever action instead of a, a screw down kind of thing. 
and so it has a nice even pull out and it seems to work a lot better than this gizmo is it really big though yeah it's real clunky yeah i'm anti any corkscrew that can't fit in your pocket hmm okay well uh I also, I guess I do have this other gizmo that is sucks, supposed to suck the air out of your opened bottles, and it uh-huh. replaces the cork with a little rubber top. So it sounds easier to just drink the whole bottle. Oh yeah, uh, that, that, that's definitely the better way to go. I was just listening to the Winecast Girls. Do a clip show. They're uh, their episode number thirty-three. They did play parts of their first episode, and it's funny they made the mistake that we made. They opened the bottle of wine with the recorder on the same table, and Lisa, I think, quipped that it, in hindsight, it sounded like they were building a table. And we had the exact same problem. Uh, there was squeaking and bumping and all kinds of extraneous noise. We also built a little table, uh, audio style. And uh, I had to go through, try to minimize that with all the tools available in Audacity. The Winecast girls didn't seem to <laughs> care that they were <laughs> building a table. <laughs> The Winecast Girls show does have its moments, and I recommend you listen to it. Just for the Minnesota accents, it's good. This isn't what you think it is. Nobody stores cotton candy like this! Do you read me over? One Baker Five, this is Mooney speaking. I was a little worried about you. I thought the big bad clown's got a hold of you. Over. Mooney, I want you to listen to me and don't say anything. I want you to call the state police and get help. There are clowns and they are killing people. Over. Okay, let me get this straight. You say there are clowns and you've seen him. Okay, Dave, that's it. Screw you and your college flunkies. Hey, kids, it's me. I bet you thought that I was dead. But when I fell over, I just broke my leg and got a hemorrhage in my head. (laughs) And now, you can't have clowns without a few circus peanuts. The Circus by C. Michael James Dennis. Hey there, Hoopla, the circus is in town. Have you seen the elephant? Have you seen the clown? Have you seen the dappled horse gallop round the ring? Have you seen the acrobat on the dizzy swing? Have you seen the tumbling men tumbling up and down? Hoopla, hoopla, the circus is in town. Hey there, hoopla, there's the circus troupe. Here's the educated dog jumping through the hoop. We see the lady blondin with the parasol and fan, the lad upon the ladder and the Indian rubber man. See the joyful juggler and the boys who loops the loop. Hey, 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 here's the circus troupe. Squirrels by Hans Ostrom. I've watched squirrels my whole life. They inhabit a zone just outside domesticity, are diplomatically wild. 
They worry and stare, behaviors of which I approve. They hoard forgetful, gorge daintily. Sometimes they just stop and fall asleep midday. On a limb or a fence post, all energy drained. Sometimes frenzy possesses them, something to do with sex or fleas. Mad bursts of wants followed by a frozen pose. Squirrels are not everything I'd hoped wilderness to be. They are, though, everything I would hope squirrels to be. And slightly more, for there's always just one more surprise ready to leap out of squirrels' evolution and seize the nut, bury it, and pat fresh soil over the nut grave and run away. Sometimes you feel like a nut. Sometimes you don't. Almond Joy got nuts. Mounds don't. Almond Joy's got rich nut chocolate. Coconut and large nuts too. Mounds got deep nut chocolate. Chewy coconut. Sometimes you feel like a nut. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes you don't. Ooh. Peter Paul, Almond Joy's got nuts. Peter Paul, Mounds don't. Because. And now, a few Rotcast outtakes. Rotcast is a quasi quilt of repurposed. Uh, Wrap it up. Join me again for the next Dead Air. Do it one more time. I have some rattling pain. Okay. Did I say Dead Air, right? You did it okay. good. <laughs> That's how they do it really gay. <laughs> if you have enjoyed our Fist Tencho theme, Damn it. they are intended only as entertainment. What? Well, don't talk until you have this in your hand. Talking stick. This is the talking stick. Thank you, Johnny. Okay, so I'm talking. Coming up next, the juicy truth with what rang and and I don't think they edit. Oh, we just straight through. I think so. There's a lot of ambient noise in the room, like when they're when they're using the, the the bottle opener and pouring. I swear to God, they're pouring the wine in front of the microphone, which is fine. Yeah, because it gives you the glug, 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 glug kind of noise. But he um he he does nice. the the podcast and 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 I haven't got through a whole one yet, which, but I will. To be fair, I'll, okay. I'll listen to a whole one, probably two of them. And um, it doesn't seem like he knows a whole lot about wine, but his guest does. What's the wine got to do with the movie? Thing? I think it's part of being that uh fake pretentious snob. The Rodcast musical bed you're hearing is called Haunted. It's used with the permission of the composer, Kim Schutterley. If you have a good idea for a Rotcast theme or a wine suggestion for our review, email your idea to mail at rotcast.com or call the Rotline. The Rotline phone number will be posted at the website or Skype us at callrotcast. Visit www.rotcast.com to learn more about the wines and link to more content. Listen next time. When you will hear. Do you go out with friends? Well, a, a boy's best friend is his mother. <laughs> <laughs>